All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and this is uh, July 19, 2016. I'd like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and we're having a lot of fun with that newsletter now, I can tell you, with my gold shares uh, and gold share portfolio, predominantly gold shares, gold and silver shares, up over 73% so far this year. Of course, the mining shares themselves are up triple digits in in many cases. the whole groups of them are in different uh, different segments of my portfolio. So we are having fun. You might want to go to miningstocks.com, check out my work, and uh, take a subscription out. I would just suggest you might find it very worthwhile, especially in this bull market for gold and silver. Also, what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? You can go to Mining Stocks to sign up for Chen's newsletter as well. Do you want to thank all of you for listening, making this one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel and encourage you to continue sending along your comments and uh, criticisms, praises, whatever, to ta- uh, questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions for Taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show logistically uh, and financially possible. Trimetals Mining, Coral Gold Resources, RN Resources, Brazil Resources, and Columbus Gold. All companies I'm very proud to have as sponsors. Uh, RN Resources especially has been on a tear, uh, but we'll be talking to the CEOs of all those companies in the weeks to come. I've titled today's show, Learning to Spot Crooks in a Dishonest World. Michael Oliver will be with us, and Michael is certainly no crook. If anybody can ferret out what's actually happening in the markets, it's Michael Oliver. That's why he's here almost every week. Daniel McAdams will be with me from the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Uh, he'll be with me at about a quarter past the hour. And then Richard Mayberry at about a half past the hour uh, will be uh, with me as well. Amir Danny of Brazil Resources was scheduled to be with me today, uh, but we are postponing his appearance until later in uh, in the summer when he expects to have more uh, significant news to pass along to you. Ben Franklin once uh, was credited with saying, a penny saved is a penny earned, but when Richard Nixon led America and the entire world off the gold standard for the first time in history, it fostered a culture of theft and dishonesty like never before. More than ever, people now struggle to know right from wrong. How do you know if your investment advisor is honest? How do you know if you're hiring an honest employee or signing a lease with a dishonest or an honest tenant or landlord? Richard Mayberry will tell us uh, of a system that he's devised to help spot crooks, dishonest people, and how to deal with them. 
and save a penny or two in the process. So we're looking forward to what Richard has to say. And I expect Richard will have other things to talk about as well. I, I want to ask him to talk a little bit about uh, some of the things he wrote in his last newsletter, how Trump could accidentally trigger off a shooting revolution, uh, Clinton's real ideology and how it increases uncertainty, the sovereign debt bomb. Those are some of the topics, if we have time, we'll talk to Richard Mayberry about. But meantime, I'm really pleased to have with me right now Michael Oliver. Michael, thanks for joining me again. Always good to have you with me. It's always a pleasure to talk to somebody who gets the markets right, the direction right at least, and I really appreciate that work. As That's why I have you here almost every week whenever you're available and I have the time. Certainly like to have you here. One of the big things you've talked about recently, I think some people suggest the most important market in the world, the biggest bubble in the world. I think that's what Ron Paul said a couple of weeks ago. That's the T-bond market. Now, you... Uh, we know we've been in a bull market since the early, well, since about 1982, a uh, bull market in long-dated U.S. Treasuries. It's been a phenomenal bull market. You make huge amounts of money by being long the T-bond. You're suggesting that we're getting close, perhaps, to the end, a blow-off phase. Uh, I see that we got up to about 177-something on the T-bond, uh, but we're down a bit today, 172 and 730 seconds when I looked at it before we went on the air here. Uh, are you still seeing the possibility of a blow-off here? And then what happens after that, Michael? Yeah, I think it started um, a month, uh, close of a month ago. <clears throat> we closed over 170. I'm talking uh, the nearby T-bond futures, of course, what I look at. Uh, and they shot up another 7.5 points or so after that. Pullback here to the 171s, now 172. This pullback, as nasty as it seems on a short-term basis, I don't think it's the end of the blow-off. I think it's just a very sharp pullback toward where the blow-off was initiated, which is crossing 170. So I think there's support down there. Forgetting that, I, I'm not encouraging people to participate in the upside or the blow-off. Uh, that's a very dangerous thing. I mean, it, it might be joyous for you know a couple months, and but when it's over, it's uh, it's it's dark, very dark, very big. Um, and so I'm looking at the blow-off as the termination of the bull market and the implosion that will follow. Uh, this is technically argued. You could fundamentally argue, but I argue it technically, based on price and momentum. They both say the same story. Um, they say once this party is over, uh, and I suspect we're going to get long yields below 2%. They're just above 2 right now. I'm talking 30-year. Um, and once that's over, it wouldn't shock me that the first down wave in price immediately jacks rates up to about 4%. Oh, my goodness. Which is, which is a shock. I mean, that's not a high rate, but it's a shock relative to what people are expecting uh, and have priced into their various and sundry portfolios. Um, and at that point, I think one of the, tor the torpedoes that will hit the bond market is already underway, has already been fired. I think it's a commodity torpedo, and the gold is leading the way, and silver, and then other markets in various ways, an upturn. And where you can turn around and say, my goodness, inflation, you know, as it's yeah. popularly measured, instead of in the growth in the money units, it's a rise in commodity prices, which is uh, another way to express it. Uh, I think that's underway. But it's not publicly acknowledged yet. In other words, most analysts and technicians don't quite see what I think I see, which is this is a real turn in commodities as an asset mm -hmm. category. Mm -hmm. It's a preference turn for investors, where investors are getting bored with stocks, scared by stocks, holding their nose while they own their stocks, uh, and looking for alternatives. And sophisticated investors have learned over the last decades that commodities are an alternative. They've done it before. 
you know, from 2000 to 2011, if you own commodities, you did very well, handsomely, versus mm-hmm. stocks, which did nothing. So I think that's underway as well. But uh, So these various tectonic plates are shifting, and, and I think that, that the, the finality is that T-bond blow-off. That, mm-hmm. is, that is the most lethal thing a market can ever do at the mm-hmm. end of an extended move, is to go vertical. Mm-hmm. Well, Michael, you know, you... It's you, over. You, you, you know, you mentioned that uh, there's not much public, public acknowledgement yet of inflation, inflationary pressures, but I can't help but comment that Alan Greenspan saw that uh, a few weeks ago, I think the first, the first day or so of this month, when he was with Tom Keene on Bloomberg, and he was talking about the very strong correlation between M2 and uh, and the popular version of inflation, and uh, also he was uh, he was mentioning that whenever countries get themselves into this kind of condition that we've gotten ourselves into, the outcome has ultimately always been inflation. So there's one person that I think uh, is is seeing that, and I'm sure there's others, but you know it's not popular yet. So so that that could really I mean so people are not going to be willing to lend their money out there uh, if if uh, you know if they're deeply underwater, I guess. Yeah, I, that's exactly right. I think that, that at that point they get smacked in the face by rising prices and the low return they're getting on their T-bonds, and et cetera. Uh, and it, it's, it's gotten narrow because, you know, a few years ago or a year and a half ago, there was an alternative in between stocks and bonds, and that was high-yield debt. But high-yield debt scared folks. It had a big drop and, uh, in price, and now it's rebounded some. But the point is, though, it shook them out of that category to where they were stuck with two alternatives. Let's go buy stocks, which are doing nothing in the U.S., it is, uh, or let's buy bonds. And, of course, the thing we've done was buy bonds uh, even, even last Christmas, uh, last into last year. We were at uh, 153 in the T-bond futures. Uh, they're now 172. I mean, compare right. that to what the S&P has done this year. It, 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 there's no comparison. True. So the real risk there is for the, the pension funds around the country that are underwater, demographically speaking. They're on a wrong trajectory. They don't have any alternatives. CalPERS just made six-tenths of a percent last year. Yeah. They need to be making seven and a half. Yeah. They weren't long T-bonds. They were long stocks. Okay, God forbid they turn around and buy T-bonds now. <laughs> All right, so, uh, so, so, Michael, you could see the handwriting on the wall in a way because you know mm-hmm. that when you have thousands and thousands of people that aren't going to have their retirement money in place, the government's mm-hmm. going to put pressure. There's going to be all kinds of pressure on the Fed to print. This comes mm-hmm. along at the same time that your, your, your commodity prices are rising. And, uh, yeah, you could see this thing really turning around. And one thing mm-hmm. I know is that when inflation turns and the psychology changes, it can happen very rapidly. So you're saying also that with the blow-off in the bond market, you could see a reversal very, very rapidly, I guess. That's why you yeah, think it's no. very dangerous to be on the long side of the T-bond. Yeah, as much fun as it might be, uh, easy money real fast, but when that's over, that is a, that's a, that's a, it's, a, it's a tombstone, uh, that kind of price action. And, and what should follow is a very rapid collapse in the bond market. Not an easy pullback, but a rapid collapse, at least down to that, to up to that 4% yield area before you find any, any resistance to further I just, rise. Uh, yeah. I just, I just can't imagine what that's going to do to the equity markets. And I, I don't, I know that you're bearish on the equity markets. The S&Ps continue to perform well, relatively well. Although if you look at it over across the year, I think they're only up 4 or 5%, something like that. Mm-hmm. Since the first, mm-hmm. since and the most first. Most indexes day. aren't. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, and most all the other indexes aren't. So, but I do want to ask you now. We're just basically out of time, but I want to ask you, gold and gold shares. Uh, there, you're still very bullish on gold, I guess. And you were yeah. talking about fourteen hundreds, low fourteen hundreds, uh, mid fifteen no, hundreds, no, high high fourteen hundreds, high fourteen hundreds to low fifteen hundreds as the right. first major resistance point. You're still right. seeing that. Yes, I still see it uh, on the GDX. I have a little bit of difference there. It saw 31 recently, I think, before it goes into a congestion uh, uh, problem area, uh, and I don't look for anything sharp. I still think it's going to 39, by the way. Uh, is uh, 32 or higher, and we haven't been there yet. Right now we're just under 30, or 29-something. So I think there's another um, $2, $3 upside here in this particular surge. Uh, uh-huh. Also, silver is vastly now outperforming gold. The, the, the ratio has changed dramatically, about 20% in the last several months. So silver is a place to be. Right now, silver is just under 20. I think its next stumble point might be 23. But you do the percent on that and then add that same percent to gold, mm-hmm. and you're talking upper 1400s. So mm-hmm. um, I'm looking at 23 as the next target area for silver, not a final, but just the next target area. Okay, then we might see some sort of a pullback for both the precious metals yeah, after they reach that period or, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Well, thanks again, Michael, for being with us. Always good to hear your uh, your opinions, and your opinions mean a lot because you've been so right on so many of these markets that I've been watching. So thanks so much for sharing your time. Sure, and, and, you, and your listeners can always get samples if they like uh, by going to the site. That'd be fine. Yes, thanks. and that's olivermsa.com, olivermsa.com. Thanks for bringing that up, Michael. Thanks, thanks so you. much for being with us, and we'll look to do it again next week, hopefully. Bye-bye. All right, take care. Well, folks, don't go away. We're going to have Daniel McAdams with us of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. He's going to be with us uh, uh, to pick up for um, uh, for Amira Nanny, who wasn't able to be here or will be here in a few weeks from now. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Daniel McAdams. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Brazil Resources Incorporated is developing projects with a total of 10 million ounces of gold resources. These acquisitions were made at discounted prices during the recent commodities market downturn. The company is a go-to name for leverage to the rising gold price among institutions and analysts. It is also exploring the highly prospective Rea Uranium project with JV partner Arriva in the western Athabasca Basin. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting brazilresources.com. TSXV, BRI, OTCQX, BRIZF. Coral Gold is an experienced precious metals explorer. Coral recently sold its flagship Robertson Gold property in Crescent Valley, Nevada to Barrick for $20 million and a royalty that increases with the price of gold. 
Coral is now refining its vision and focus for gold exploration in Nevada with over $20 million in cash, a favorable share structure, and three gold properties in the Crescent Valley region near Barracks Cortez Pipeline Operation. Coral is well-positioned to pursue a number of growth opportunities now under construction by management. Coral trades as CLH on the TSX Venture Exchange. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me my good friend of mine, Daniel McAdams. Uh, Not often enough have we had Daniel on recently. As the markets have gotten hotter, uh, the gold markets and so forth, uh, you're... Uh, your host has had his nose to the money trail, and uh, we're looking to make money in the mining stocks. But that's not to say that I don't care a great deal about what Daniel McAdams and Ron Paul, Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, is doing. So, thanks for joining me again, Daniel. It's really good to have you back with me. Hi, Jay. It's great to be back with you again. Good to have you with me. Um, you and Ron Paul talked at the Ron Paul Institute. Uh, for Peace and Prosperity. I saw a clip there. You were talking about the coup in Turkey or alleged coup, some people think. What are your thoughts about what is really going on there? Because it seems to be, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like so much of our foreign policy and things are, are things we hear from our propaganda artists in Washington. Um, I, you know, I thought Turkey and the United States were really close. I thought, the, you know, they're a, they're a NATO member. I thought they were our buddies in fighting ISIS. I thought, uh, you know, and now all of a sudden it seems as though the State Department and the Obama administration is uh, sort of chastising or getting tough with uh, Erdogan. What's, go- what is, what's your take on this whole event? Yeah, I mean, with, with the coup that happened last Friday, first of all, it was very short-lived. You know, we're yeah. talking really a couple of hours and. um you know, there are so many potential scenarios, and, you know, we have to sort of approach this with the idea that we'll never know what really happened. Um, but there are a number of scenarios that are worth thinking about, you know, and obviously, you know, as in any who done it, you have plenty of potential suspects, uh, and, and one of them on the international stage is, it could always be the CIA. Uh, you know, it's well known that, that, uh, that Gulen, the cleric that lives in Pennsylvania, who's exiled from Turkey, has long had a relationship with the CIA. And as Dr. Paul pointed out in the Liberty Report that we did earlier this week on it, uh, there are some similarities between him and Shalabi, you know. Uh, Ahmed Shalabi was the guy that the CIA wanted to run Iraq after mm. we liberated it, you know. But they're both considered moderates, very pro-West, uh, pro-U.S., uh, you know. And so uh, Erdogan immediately blamed Gulen and his movement for the coup, uh, most people think that that is just an excuse to get rid of his rivals. That may well be the case. Uh, but it also may be possible that, uh, that uh, Golan and his people are behind it. You know, it, it, I, I tweeted this earlier in the week. It reminds me slightly of Shepard Nazi in Georgia, who had always been a very loyal U.S. ally, 
but when he started uh, Shevardnadze being the president of Georgia in the uh, yeah. after the after communism, uh, and then as he started to stray and started to do things that the U- he started to not do exactly what he was told, uh, the U.S. turned on him pretty quickly and had the Rose Revolution and put in Saakashvili. So that's always a possibility. The other possibility that I think Dr. Paul and I were leaning toward earlier this week is that either Erdogan himself was behind it or he had caught wind of it through a loyal general or somebody who would sniff that out and, and let it happen because, you know, talk about a great opportunity to get rid of your political rival. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as of, as of right now, and the number keeps going up, but he's, he has fired just about 50,000 public sector employees. Goodness. Um, he sacked 15,000 teachers uh, and said they were involved in terrorism because they were behind the coup. Uh, a third of his entire officer corps is gone. Uh, within hours of putting it down, he sacked 3,000 judges. And that led people to think that he already had his enemies list. Right. How could you know? How could you do something so rapidly as that? Get rid of so many people. And that's a pretty efficient government if they could, within a couple of hours, draw up this list. So, uh, you know, like our own Patriot Act, they had it sitting on the shelf probably. And so it did present itself as an opportunity if he wasn't behind it himself. But it's an extremely fluid situation. And, you know, the, um, uh, as a matter of fact, one of the persons arrested was the Turkish military officer in charge of the Turkish side of the Intelik Air Base, which is not only where we have our huge NATO base, but where we keep about 50 nuclear weapons. Wow. So, uh, it, you know, it, it went right to the top. And, it's, uh, and as a matter of fact, Intelik was closed. For a short period, uh, the electricity was turned off, and nobody could get in or out. Mm. So extremely, extremely dramatic moves, uh, of which uh, NATO and the EU are paying pretty close attention. Well, I would think so. Let me ask you, if the, if, uh, the CIA were behind this, then they might have in mind installing somebody to their liking uh, in Turkey? That might be the idea, like this cleric in Pennsylvania? Uh, somebody less problematic, of course. You know, Erdogan yeah. has purged. He's purged the media. He's purged. Uh, he's shut down newspapers. And even if he was doing what the U.S. wanted him to do in Turkey, at some point you start getting to be a liability. And maybe yeah. his paranoia was starting to be a liability. You know, of course, this is speculation. But, you know, yeah. we've seen this pattern. We've seen it happen in the past, so you can extrapolate based on that. Yeah, it seems like most of the... Uh, so-called friends of the United States sooner or later get turned on. I, you know, think of Saddam Hussein, for example, and, and many others. But, okay, well, this is really interesting, and we'll see where it goes, I guess. And you, uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, who knows, huh? Well, I think, um, I think Kerry has bluffed and said, if you, if you don't start behaving yourself, we might kick you out of NATO. But I think if Erdogan is, is really the tough guy, he'll call the bluff and say, okay, but then you'll lose Interlake. And that yes. will dramatically reduce the ability of the U.S. to, quote, project power into the Middle East, i.e. bomb Syria and Iraq and put boots on the ground, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't think there's any chance in the world that the U.S. will make a move on, on, uh, on NATO. Uh, the Europeans are upset, though, because uh, Erdogan did something that uh, Albanian uh, dictator Enver Hoxha used to do in the 70s, where he would say, uh, you know, ask the people, what should I do with comrade so-and-so? And they'd say, well, he has to be killed. And, and Hoja would say, uh, well, who am I to go against the will of the people? <laughs> so yeah. 
he's thinking of, he said he's got to bring back the death penalty because he heard people on the street saying, uh, why should we put these guys in jail and pay for their way? They should all be killed. Oh, so my if goodness. He brings back, if he brings back the death penalty for these so-called coup plotters, I think Brussels is going to be irritated, and I think the whole uh, idea of them uh, getting EU membership uh, is going to be off the table, you know, certainly de facto yeah. off the table. Yeah, well, that might be a good thing, I, I, I would guess. But in any event, um, it's just really, really interesting uh, scenario. What do you make of the uh, Kerry appearing suddenly, seemingly, in Russia talking to Putin or to the, to the Russian power elite and it seemed as though the White House didn't say anything about it. Was that strange? Well, I think Kerry Kate went with an offer in his hand. He wanted what, what the U.S. calls a cooperation on Syria uh, to coordinate airstrikes against the, uh, against the, the rebels, uh, the al-Qaeda and the ISIS rebels. Um, but the problem is, you know, our, our U.S.-backed moderate rebels are so closely embedded with the al-Qaeda rebels, you know, they're called the al-Nusra Front. Yeah. That, that essentially it means that, uh, that you can't bomb al-Qaeda in Syria, which is primarily fighting the secular Assad, uh, because our allies are fighting alongside and sharing our weapons with al-Qaeda. Huh. Uh, so it's very problematic, and I think the U.S. knows that it's, Syria policy is in, a, is in a disaster. So I think Kerry was, was coming to try to propose something, and I don't think the Russians bit uh, as the U.S. had hoped they, wa- they would. Yeah. Daniel, we're just about out of time here. I have to ask you, though, uh, with regard to the politics here in this country now, um, give us a sense of what you and Dr. Paul think a Trump presidency might mean for foreign policy. Well, probably nothing good if you look at the kinds of people that he has around him. And <clears throat> Dr. Paul, is, is, as, as everyone knows, has been very, very negative. Um, I think he's probably right. I try to be a little bit more optimistic and hope there might be some, uh, you know, kernel of him that's better than a Hillary presidency would be. But you know, it's as with politics, as with all of us, you know, we're always disappointed in politics. So yeah. I'm sure Dr. Paul is probably right, and there's nothing much to hope for in terms of a turnaround away from this interventionism that's destroying our economy, destroying our moral. Uh, leadership, destroying our, our very fiber of our being in the U.S. Yeah, indeed. Well, as Dr. Paul said on my show a week or two ago, uh, the one thing that you don't hear any of the candidates talking about at going back into the primaries was the whole notion of, uh, of an honest monetary system. And, of course, that is the fuel that is used for militaristic expansionism. And I think uh, a very di- dangerous time for us, Daniel. Don't you believe so? Absolutely, and that's why we have to make the case stronger than ever for non-interventionism. We have to be as loud as possible for our economic well-being, for our moral well-being, for our physical well-being, really. Yeah, well, it is a time uh, to be on the lookout. One, one more thing, Dan, I'll remind our listeners about your uh, event that's coming up in Washington. It's in September, I believe. Tell, tell us, take 30 seconds to tell us about that and how people can sign up for it. Well, thank you very much, Jay. We're having our first public conference. We've got a great lineup of speakers. We've already announced, uh, well, Dr. Paul, of course, will be the headliner. We've already announced that Lou Rockwell, a libertarian legend, will be one of the speakers. Back together in Washington with Dr. Paul. Uh, and uh, Jacob Hornberger of the Future of Freedom Foundation. Oh, he's uh, very great good. Great libertarian think tank. Yeah, Bunker is, is terrific, and he's going to be a speaker. 
We're going to announce a few other ones uh, in the next couple of days. But people can get more information just at our website, ronpaulinstitute.org, and we'll have a little banner up on the right hand where you can click and get more info. Um, We're actually getting, uh, we sold out our first two sections, and we've had to negotiate for a new section in the ballroom. So there's a lot of interest in this. It's a one-day conference, September 10th, which is Saturday. I'm really looking forward to that. I hope I can go myself, if possible. Daniel, thank you so much for being with us again. We'll look to do it again sometime soon, I hope. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. All right, well, folks, don't go away. We're going to have Richard Mayberry with us. Uh, Richard's got some interesting things to say. He's put together a system uh, that uh, will allow you to kind of figure out whether you're dealing with people who are honest or not so honest. So we're looking forward to hearing what Richard has to say about that, as well as a lot of other topics uh, in his newsletter um, you know, having to do with uh, what a Trump presidency might look like, what a Hillary presidency might look like. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Richard Mayberry. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Trimetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company creating value through the exploration and development of its 100% owned, near-surface, Gold Springs Gold Silver project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. Trimetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a robust preliminary economic assessment. Trimetals believes there is a significant potential to increase the gold mineral resource through further drilling. Trimetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively. Brazil Resources Incorporated is developing projects with a total of 10 million ounces of gold resources. These acquisitions were made at discounted prices during the recent commodities market downturn. The company is a go-to name for leverage to the rising gold price among institutions and analysts. It is also exploring the highly prospective Rea Uranium project with JV partner Arriva in the western Athabasca Basin. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting brazilresources.com. TSXV, BRI, OTCQX, BRIZF. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and the Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have one of my favorite guests with me once again, Richard Mayberry. And uh, Richard's been with me a, a number of times. Uh, his, uh, his bio is posted uh, at the Voice America, at my page at the Voice America Business Channel, and uh, would tell you that you should go to earlywarningreport.com, earlywarningreport.com, jot that uh, address down because you're going to want to go there after you listen to Richard uh, for several reasons. Uh, one would be to buy his newsletter, which is a very reasonably priced letter, or one of those uh, can't miss letters that I that I look eagerly towards reading every month. And um, 
Also, uh, he's got something new that he's put together that we want to talk to him about today. Thanks for joining me again, Richard. Oh, it's great to be here, Jay. And incidentally, talking about newsletters, I was reading yours a few days ago, and I am so impressed at the investment results you're producing for your subscribers. I mean, these, well, these triple-digit gains are very nice. Well, they are very nice, but let me, but let me just quickly uh, and humbly say that it has more to do with the direction of the gold markets than it has to do with, with my expertise. Now, that said, I work very hard to find good companies, that uh, exploration companies that have the potential to find something that the big boys would be interested in. So you have these little mining companies with very small market caps uh, you know, and if they find a million ounces or five or ten million ounces, all of a sudden, relative to their valuation in the market, they become extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. And that's what's yeah. sort of happening and why these things are. So it's, it's a matter of being uh, on the long side of this market at the right time. And, you know, Richard, like I like to say, it's, it's really a truism that a broken clock is right twice a day. So ultimately, <laughs> if, you, if you stay long in gold, you'll be right. And right now, that's one of those times when we're having a good time. But in any event, thank you for the compliment. I do work hard, and I try my best to find good companies. But uh, nobody works harder than you, I know, and nobody has written more books. Well, there are people that have written more books. Uh, not too many people have written more books that are common sense books than you have. And uh, so, again, folks, the reason to go to Early Warning Report uh, to that uh, website is to catch up with all of the things that Richard does. He's a prolific writer, and he's got something new we want to talk to him about uh, today. Um, you know, in your letter, the last newsletter, the July letter, Richard, mm-hmm. you stated, and I quote, we're ready to solve one of your problems, perhaps the biggest, end of quote. And you go on to discuss that, and it really has to do with a lack of people's morality, I would say, the lack of knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. Um, Can you elaborate on that a bit more? Yeah. um, As you know, I I do an awful lot of analysis of economic problems and geopolitical problems. And, excuse me, um, there's also uh, the the problems that, that people run into every day in, in their businesses, especially business people, trying to find employees who are honorable. Um, I mean, if you, if you talk to 100 business people and ask them, what's your worst problem, I think 99 would say, I can't find anybody who's a, an honest, hardworking person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the, the corruption that you see every day in your own personal life uh, in your career, your business, and all that, it, and it, it stretches all the way up through the whole um, the whole fabric of society, including, of course, the top levels of government, where people lie routinely. <laughs> it, you know, you, you can't believe anything they say, uh, and and it all comes down to the same problem, which is ethics, and that's why we have uh, named our company Ethics Solutions. Because right now, be, the, it, yeah. So that's a separate company, Richard. Now that's a separate yeah. company from your newsletter uh, mm-hmm. company that publishes uh, early warning report, right? Yes, right. Yeah. Ethics Solutions. Our our web uh, address is ethicsolutions.net, but you can also go to the the uh, early warning report uh, site and be connected if you want to. But they are separate companies. But the purpose of Ethics Solutions is to revive. The teaching of ethics, and and most Americans aren't aware now that the public schools 
stopped teaching ethics in the 1960s. It was just thrown out the door. And um, the children now only get very spotty kind of occasional comments about what's right and wrong. But there's no systematic teaching of ethics in the public schools. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we're seeing the result of it now. The whole United States, uh, in fact, it, it's actually around the world. I mean, all of, all of civilization is trying to, to operate without a clear set of ethics. And uh, the, the, it's a catastrophe. Everybody knows it's a catastrophe. We live with it all day long, especially business people when they're trying to hire somebody. Mm-hmm. So that's what the company is supposed to do. And it's not really a new company so much as I think it's a new industry. Uh, the schools aren't teaching this anymore, and so we have decided that we'll start teaching it. And uh, you can go to the website. You can read all about it. In 15 minutes, if you go to the website, you'll have a vastly better understanding of ethics and what's gone wrong with ethics than probably anybody you know. I'd like to... Uh, ask you why you think we went off the rails in the 1960s. Now, I think there was clearly a, um, uh, a cons- I think I think what was consistent with the Constitution that we were never to be a theocracy in the United States. I believe that. There are a lot of uh, my Christian friends who might disagree with that, but I, I believe that, uh, you know, and we had Ron Paul on this show a couple of weeks ago, and Ron was talking about how he uh, he steered clear of, of anything that smacked of a theocracy. Uh, on the other hand, Ron noted that you know if you go back to the Hammurabi Code and or back to the Ten Commandments, he he felt that the major religions had enough in common uh, that it was possible uh, for people to coexist and get along, and and even if they didn't agree on the on uh, theological issues, uh, the very basic issues there was an agreement on, and you know that's what we we hear Obama and others talking about how. Uh, they're you know they're good Muslims. There's good you know, and and then you hear the other side of it. Ah, oh, there's no such thing as a good Muslim in this. Uh, well, what are your thoughts on this? How did we go off the rails in the 1960s? Why do you think then? Well, there were two forces mainly that were at work. One is that there were two Supreme Court decisions that said that you can't teach religion in school, and uh-huh. up until that point, ethics had already always been tied to religion. Uh-huh. And the, the kids in public schools got Christian instruction. Mm-hmm. So uh, when they threw out religion, they threw out the ethics, too. It was, uh-huh. you know, they threw the baby out with the bathwater. Sure. And um, they've, they've kind of hung on to this idea that if you're teaching ethics, you are therefore teaching religion, which is not true, as you point out. There are certain basic rules for humans to get along with each other that go back thousands of years. And Mm -hmm. what we've done in our course, um, as you study the handbook, the ethics handbook, what you learn is, or one of the things you learn, is that there are two fundamental rules that all religions have always taught and and that have always underlied um, the, what, what we call venerable law, the basic legal systems of all nations. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and those two laws, or principles, if you want, um, can be boiled down into 17 words. And those 17 words are, do all you have agreed to do, and that's the basis of, of contract law. Sure. And the other one is, do not encroach on other persons or their property. That's the basis of tort law and some criminal law. 
And those 17 words um, underlie all basic venerable law systems around the world in every society, from from the the British to the Zulus. Um, it's everybody has had those two laws, those 17 words. They they state them in different ways, of course. Yeah. Uh, but those two laws, those 17 words, underlie everything, and it and you don't need to be talking about religion. You yeah. can just talk about which is what we do, we talk about in the handbook, <clears throat> when you run into a given situation um, that has ethics involved in it, you can go back to those 17 words and find the solution working upward from those 17 words. It used to be that people were taught how to do that when they were in school, but that's all been thrown away. And, and one of the points that I try to make so strongly with people is that Ethics isn't just a rule, bunch of rules that say don't do this and don't do that. Ethics is a tool that you can use for getting along with other people because uh-huh. you have to get along with other people, especially you know, almost everything humans do with each other has a contractual basis. Uh, lawyers know this, but most people don't. Practically everything we do has some sort of a contract underlying sure. it. Mm-hmm. And those two... Laws; those seventeen words are, are a tool which, once you know how to use them, that show you how to make these agreements with other people uh, that will work well for both of you without getting you in trouble. And uh, I guess that's what you're doing with your course. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your program. Then, what are you? You are trying to help people use these tools to get along with people, to make better business decisions, to make better. Decisions in life, I suppose. If I'm a landlord, I want to know if my tenant is going to be honest. Uh, you know, if if I'm going to rent from a landlord, I want to know if he's going to uphold his side of the contract. Mm-hmm. Right. So, what what are you trying to do? What are you doing in your course, Richard, that can help uh, my listeners? Um, we we've taken what's about six years of ethics instructions that used to occur in schools, and we boiled them down to about two hours of reading in the handbook, and then mm-hmm. after you've, you've gone through the handbook and you've got these tools in your head, then you're given a test, which is, is done online. You don't need to go anyplace for this. You can do mm-hmm. it right from your own living room uh, or your office. You just sit there at the computer for about an hour and you take this test, and that test is a judgment of how well you have absorbed these fundamental principles of ethics and how to use them in your daily life. Now, one of the the things I'm really looking forward to with this new new company is finding out how much help we are to people in their marriages. Ah. Because most people don't understand that marriage is first and foremost a contract between sure. two people. Sure it is. And they never work out the terms of the contract. Most people mm-hmm. never do. They never sit down and say, okay, now just exactly what it is we're agreeing to. <laughs> they don't do that. So they're always having um, battles with each other that aren't necessary. And these battles come from the fact that they don't realize that there are certain principles that their agreement, which is their marriage, should sure. be based on. Sure. And when you come away from our handbook, which takes you just two hours to read, you're going to understand those principles, and you're, I think it's going to be a very enlightening thing, and it's going to 
improve millions of marriages. And I don't think I'm exaggerating on that. Well, that's, uh, yeah, well, that, that would be a tremendous help because, well, you know, I, I guess uh, money is one of the big things that break up marriages. Of course, unfaithfulness, spouse to their spouse, things like that. Yeah. Uh, if you, uh, you know, I mean, there is a marriage contract when, you, when you're married in a church or in a civil ceremony. At least in a church, there's this whole thing about, you know, you, you're making an agreement with your spouse uh, that uh, then, then if that's not upheld, then obviously... You know, that's. Uh, but but I look forward to that, Richard. I I need to take this course myself just to just to become more aware of it. And uh, uh, because if 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 it can do all you say it can do, then we need to get as many people as possible uh, taking advantage of that. And uh, again, uh, people should be going to ethicssolutions.net or or to earlywarningreport.com. Right. Right. Either one will you know, get you there. You know, I was thinking, Richard, as you were saying about. Those two basic laws, do what you say you're going to do, and then the other one had to do with respecting other people's property or something like that, mm-hmm. that um, maybe one of the reasons that society is losing that is because government uh, doesn't obey those rules. When you think about it, do they? Does government well, obey the rules? A, that's an absolute truth. Um, <clears throat> I would argue that uh, the primary reason governments today exist is for the purpose of breaking those rules. Yeah. And the reason for that is that in the late 1800s, um, a, you know, a group of intellectuals came up with this idea called socialism, which is actually a very ancient idea, but it was new and being revived in the late 1800s, and they decided to essentially make the whole world socialist. And they took over the schools and colleges and they started teaching uh, socialism in the schools and colleges. And, it, and it, today, it just underlies everything that goes on in, in the uh, public education system. Well, you can't have socialism and have these ethics at the same time because one of those principles of ethics is do not encroach on other persons or their property. Right. And governments encroach all the time as they're trying to implement socialism. They, they dig down deep into your life, and they change things according to whatever they think are necessary. That's what these politicians and bureaucrats, that's why there are millions of politicians and bureaucrats in the, in the United States today. Their job is to reach down into your life and change your life according to socialist principles which are the opposite of these ancient ethical principles. Right. And the, the notion, of course, that our limited government initially uh, was to minimize government's intrusion on our lives and to allow us to be free. Mm-hmm. I ask uh, Ron Paul, why in the world do we celebrate the 4th of July anymore anyway? I don't really get it. So that's, <laughs> I don't think most of the people have any idea. Of course, he wasn't in favor of abolishing it, as I suggested we should. But uh, he, he thought it, it could be used as a teaching, uh, a time for teaching people. But in any event, uh, it just seems to me that the idea that government intrusion into our property and government doesn't say doesn't do what they say they're going to do either. I mean, what politician running for office ever really says what he's, you know, yep. they, 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 don't, they don't live up to their promises. Sure. Well, I, I, is there anything more you'd like to say about, uh, about ethics solutions uh, at the moment, Richard? Because we, we want to entertain, you know, have you back again uh, at some point to talk more about this. But 
anything else you'd like to add about it that we haven't well, I covered? Think, yeah, I think we've covered it pretty well. I, I just think you know the basic thing that's wrong in practically every case in the world today is the loss of ethics. And what we're trying to do is is restore ethics um, in a practical way that people can use every day to make their lives better. And I, I'm very, very confident you'll find you spend the two hours to read the handbook and the hour to take the test, you'll, you'll get a certificate that will, will state that you have passed the test and you understand ethics. And you can put that on your business card or your resume or in advertising, mm-hmm. whatever you want to do, so that other people can recognize that you know how to practice good ethical judgment. And, I, okay. and believe me, that's going to set you apart from the rest of the world. And I'm quite certain that employers are going to love to see that certified by ES logo on your business card or resume or whatever. But anyhow, I know there are other things you want to talk about here. And we've got well, there to- are, there are. But let me. But, <laughs> but again, um, I, you know, you you also published some very interesting things on this topic in your letter. Uh, the Notre Dame sociological studies suggested that a third of the youth uh, don't have any sense of what is right and wrong. So it's not just a, a few people here and there. It's, it's a very comprehensive uh, problem. And you talked also, uh, there was a book you mentioned, the California Superintendent of Schools, titled The Last Chance for Our Children. Uh, so th- th- And this, this was written some time ago. There was another one uh, as well in the Wall Street Journal you mentioned. So there, it's, it's a problem that's recognized widely. One more thing, Richard, before I ask you about a couple of uh, other things. Mm-hmm. The... Um, uh, with regard to uh, companies that are recognizing, are there some companies, I think you mentioned in your newsletter, there's at least, maybe there's some companies that might start recognizing this course, uh, and uh, are you marketing it in that regard so that, you know, so yeah, corporations we, might say, well, gee, this is, a, this is a good thing, it's the kind of person I'd like to have that has at least an understanding of what's right and wrong. Yeah, that's a, a big thrust that we have is to go out to companies, and, and we're working on that. Now, I mean, the, the companies are only, you know, like three weeks old or something like that. So yeah, right. we've got a lot of work to do here yet. But, um, uh, yeah, uh, we, what we would hope to see is that, well, you know how um, Underwriters Laboratories has its UL sticker that's attached to electrical products. Uh-huh. That says, yes, yes. Uh, you know, the, the, this company knows how to make a good electrical product, and, and this one has passed our, our tests. Well, we want... ES, Ethics Solutions, to be the human equivalent of the UL label, mm. and that uh, all employers will simply ask you, you know, have you been through the ES course uh, so that you know how to practice good ethical judgment, and they'll look for that ES uh, logo. That's our goal, and we are reaching out to, to big corporations to uh, uh, try to get this done as quickly as possible. Oh, that's uh, you've you mentioned a company's only three weeks old, but you've been working on this and giving a lot of thought to this for for quite a while. And uh, before oh, that, yeah. though, right, Richard? So, oh yeah, it stretches back to my book uh, called "Whatever Happened to Justice," which was published in nineteen ninety two. All right. Uh, so you know, ever since I wrote that, which is where I introduced those two fundamental laws, mm-hmm. the seventeen words, mm-hmm. um, I've had people coming to me. I, I need a practical everyday guide on on how to apply these laws and how to uh, you know i i I understand that they they make all the sense in the world and they're really great and they underlie civilization itself but tell me how to use them day to day in my life 
So that's what Ethics Solutions is. All right, very good. Well, let me ask you, uh, you sort of related to that, you mentioned in your newsletter that uh, either you or the, maybe the Wall Street Journal, I can't remember which, were suggesting that one of the reasons for Trump's uh, popularity might be related to this notion that things are really starting to disintegrate uh, in terms of ethical principles. Yeah, I think that's a definite possibility. Um, I, I, would, I would imagine there are millions of Americans out there that feel that way and are voting for him. I don't think it's the whole population, um, but, um, you know, especially not politicians. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, you, you talk to anybody. I mean, just I, I handed uh, one of those cards to a massage therapist of, you know, uh, last week. Uh-huh. And she, she, one of our business cards, and the business card explains that we teach ethics. And she looked at that, and she said, man, I know a lot of people that need this. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you can get her to be a sales rep for you then. Yeah, uh, right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you mentioned in your newsletter, uh, this is just, I, and I bring this up because uh, the Republican National Convention, it was a political season now, mm-hmm. uh, how Trump could accidentally trigger off a shooting revolution. Would you care to share the, your thoughts on that? On that topic, right, yeah, um, and I'm going to explain this in the next early warning report newsletter. Uh, well, no, not the next one, the September issue. I'm going to explain it. The economy of a country uh, conforms to the shape of the legal system. Uh, when people pass or when lawmakers make up a law, um, that's usually a restriction on somebody, so they a business can't move into that area. It's got to go somewhere else, and so you have this. Uh, you can imagine a sort of a a jagged uh, ceiling, which is uh, the law, and it restricts people's ability to rise above that ceiling. You get punished if you try to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, what governments do is they're continually making up new laws and changing the shape of this ceiling. And so investors and business people come in, and they create businesses that conform to the shape of those laws. Sure. Uh, now, Trump is promising to be a maverick who is going to undo thousands of these deals that are put together to create these laws. Mm-hmm. He, he may not know that's what he's promising, but that's what he's promising, is he's mm-hmm. going to change the shape of the ceiling. Mm-hmm. So there are going to be huge areas where there will be tremendous opportunities for new companies, and there will be huge areas where companies will be wiped out. Yeah. Um, and in those areas where companies are wiped out, there's going to be a lot of mad people. There's going to be a lot of anger as he reconfigures the government, which will reconfigure the economy. So I'm, I'm thinking, um, um, unless he's learned how to work some kind of miracle, the, as these, this reshaping of the legal structure occurs, you're going to have a lot of uh, riots in the streets and, and who knows what going on with that as people lose their jobs. Yeah, well, that makes perfect sense to me, Richard. We're just about out of time. I want to remind my listeners of some of the other great topics in your July newsletter. We won't have time to cover them all. That was one of them, um, you know, how Trump could accidentally trigger off a shooting revolution. But another one was Clinton's real ideology and how it increases uncertainty, uh, the sovereign debt bomb. And uh, what few Americans know about the Democrat and Republican parties. I mean, all good stuff. 
And I would just tell my listeners, it's early warning report. Go there, sign up for Richard's newsletter and ethicsolutions.net, which you can get to through earlywarningsreport.com. Check out that program that uh, that Richard was just talking about. Do yourself a favor. Do your spouse a favor. Do your friends a favor. And, uh, yeah, I think it it makes a lot of sense, Richard. I want to thank you very much for for being with us today, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again sometime in the near future. Thank you so much for being with us. Yes, thank you, Jay. All the best. Well, folks, um, that is all the time we have for today's show. Um, next week, though, we are going to be uh, we're going to be talking to uh, who are we talking to? John Rubino. John Rubino next week, uh, and David Wolfen of Coral Gold will be with us as well. So, thanks to each of you for listening. Thanks to my producer, Tacey Trump, uh, engineer Matt Widener, and all of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Trimetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company creating value through the exploration and development of its 100% owned near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. Trimetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a robust preliminary economic assessment. Trimetals believes there is a significant potential to increase the gold mineral resource through further drilling. Trimetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively. Coral Gold is an experienced precious metals explorer. Coral recently sold its flagship Robertson Gold property in Crescent Valley, Nevada to Barrick for $20 million and a royalty that increases with the price of gold. Coral is now refining its vision and focus for gold exploration in Nevada with over $20 million in cash, a favorable share structure, and three gold properties in the Crescent Valley region near Barracks Cortez Pipeline Operation. Coral is well positioned to pursue a number of growth opportunities now under construction by management. Coral trades as CLH on the TSX Venture Exchange. 